Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench this Saturday evening. Coming up on the show, we preview Munster versus Leinster. Munster legends Alan Quinlan and Fiona Hayes give their thoughts on that. We'll also hear from Craig Casey, who was speaking during the week. Cork City are under new management on the pitch, that is, at least. We'll discuss Tim Clancy's appointment and the other goings-on at City. Katie Taylor will look to seek revenge on Chantel Cameron tonight. Gavin Casey of The 42 will tell us about that. John O'Shea is the author of a new book that we're going to hear about later on and has been speaking to Dan Casey about that. Dan also joins me here this evening. We'll also round up the day's Premier League action. All of that between here and seven. Listening to the big red bench here on Cork's Red FM. It's Aidan Lee here with you until 7 o'clock, 0868104106. If you want to get in touch with us or at Big Red Bench on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days. I'm after two years of presenting the show, I'm finally joined in studio by a co-host. Dan Casey, the man to my right, joins me. Yeah, Dan, delighted to have you here on the show. I say the last time we were on air was Student Radio in Tralee about three years ago. Yeah, College Radio, incredible to now here on Red FM. It's absolutely insane. The rise is incredible. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be here for the next hour uh, talking through a lot of goings on. And uh, we'll talk to Dan uh, about uh, Tim Clancy's appointment as well. We'll give you a roundup first of the day's action. And uh, we'll start off with uh, Gaelic games and uh, a lot of big Munster club games and uh, All-Ireland club games as well in ladies' Gaelic football. Uh, starting uh, with the Munster club junior football semi-final where Kilmurray beat Fina Kilmedia of Limerick 4-16 to two points. That was in Cloudove and a massive uh, hammering there. And Kilmurray will go on to face Listowel Emmets who had a big win over Kilimer earlier on today in the current count Daddy All-Ireland LGFA Intermediate Club uh, Championship quarterfinal Glenmire were over in London big trip uh, they beat Tyr Connell Gales in Ryslip 2-5 to 9 points and in the junior quarterfinal O'Donovan Ross had a massive win against Glasgow Gales in Scotland two big trips for those two clubs uh, the Cork side winning out 2-14 to 2 goals uh, the Premier League then a big day of action and uh, it's Newcastle who've moved into the top six with a 4-1 win at home to Chelsea. Uh, Blues captain Reese James was red-carded late on with the Magpies taking all three points. Um, many players missing through injury still for Newcastle. There's not as many missing. As, like They go on about this all the time about Newcastle missing players. They're missing one player because he's suspended. Sounds, sounds like a them problem. It sounds like a them problem. Yeah, Eddie Howes. Look, like United, we won't even get into the amount of players United missing. Anyway, uh, the top two drew one all. Liverpool fighting back to take a point against leaders Man City. Jacob, Gra- Jacob Brown scored a dramatic late winner for Luton, who beat Crystal Palace two one. They're picking up a bit of pace now, Luton. Um, and also, like all those clubs now in the relegation zone, to be looking at that ten point deduction for Everton and be licking their lips surely because that's their ticket out of there. I still think Everton I, might stay up though. I think Luton have the best chance. Of, um, if they get in a run, home games. I think this is the start of it now. You know what I mean? If they like, if they get a run of winning home games, like if they win, if they win, if they can win six home games, um, well, they'd have to win eight home games or something like. But you know, if they can win like six home games in the next couple of months, 
they got a chance. And Cork's um, Chiro's egg Benny, of course, will be central to all of that. He's their best player. He's got he's got player this player of the month twice, I think, so far this season. Um so yeah, uh, it's good to see Chio far and away for, for Luton as well. Uh West Ham scored twice in the final stages to beat Burnley two one at Turf Moor. Brighton won three two at Nottingham Forest with Evan Ferguson and the score sheet while Sheffield United lost 3-1 at home to Bournemouth Sheffield are definitely in trouble anyway I don't think they'll be staying up at all obviously John Egan then was with them but he's injured out for the season so like it's a massive blow for Sheffield at the heart of their defence Arsenal are away to Brentford and Brentford really we were looking at that um, there's what there's 33 minutes gone now Brentford should be 1-0 up Ramsdale Slipped on his arse for the want of a, a better turn of phrase, and uh, they should have they should have buried that chance, shouldn't they? So eloquently put, uh, <laughs> Arteta did not look too pleased with uh, Ramsdale. No, getting his chance as well. David Rea out injured. Uh, Scottish Premiership leader Celtic held to a one-all draw at home to Motherwell, but uh, it does increase their advantage at the top to nine points. Um, let's hear a bit about the Newcastle Chelsea game four-one. Big, big scoreline. Chelsea had a, che- a friend, who, a couple of friends who were Chelsea fans, and he said to me last weekend, Potch is building something. Stephen Goldsmith. One. Believe it or not, this game was a very even one for the most part. Then a quite amazing Chelsea collapse. The game was locked at 1-1. Isak's close-range opener cancelled out by a wonderful Raheem Sterling free kick. Then in one second half minute, the game completely changed. Lascelles glanced in a close-range header, and then seconds later, a nightmare moment for the inexperienced Thiago Silva. A miscontrol allowed Joe Linton in to score. Rich James was then sent off for a second yellow. An uphill task, Chelsea couldn't overcome. Anthony Gordon, the best player on the park, got a deserved fourth when he cut in and rolled a right-footed finish into the bottom corner. Newcastle four, Chelsea one. Yeah, big, uh, big, big win for Newcastle there. Um, all right, so I suppose let's turn our attention now to football matters here in Ireland. And obviously, it's been a massive week of news in Irish football. We've had the departure of Stephen Kenny from the Ireland job. And we've had all of this sort of the start of the off-season of the League of Ireland as well. Been a huge week of Cork City. Um, obviously, they've lost. Rory Keating to St. Pat's, um, best player in in the team. So that's a massive hole to fill. They've filled one gap, at least, which is Tim Clancy is going to be the new head coach next season. And Liam Buckley has gone. Um, I would gauge from the fan reception that that has been that's a very positive decision by the by by Dermot Usher, uh, obviously, and the rest of the staff who were making those decisions. It seems to be something that's gone hand in hand that Buckley has gone and Clancy has come in. I wonder was that something that happened? Was that present something back in the move from happening back in like uh, April May when Colin Healy left? I believe Clancy would, was one of the potential front runners at that time probably should have been brought in but people are you know speculating that maybe bringing in Liam Buckley may have prevented that move we don't know of course but um, it's all speculation but for Tim Clancy to get the job absolutely thrilled every City fan seems to be over the moon with the move it'll be interesting to see because he took Drogheda he had two seasons with them in the first division then he took them into the Premier Division they finished seventh which is incredibly good for such a low budget team and then for him to go to Pats get Pats into Europe and I mean, Pats, I mean, for them to win the cup, he's clearly built the bones of an incredible, incredible squad there. It, uh, it soured their relationship, uh, his and the fans, towards the end. But the, he built a decent squad and hopefully he can do the same with uh, with City. Yeah, I think Pats might point to Stephen O'Donnell maybe having a big influence on, on the squad that he had as well. 
but uh, obviously he did play a role in, in the squad the Pats have now um, looking as an outsider like and, and I don't want to be disrespectful like obviously we know we're talking to a lot of people here but like Liam Buckley's like it was just pointless for me his whole existence at Cork City for this year like just was a colossal waste of time he had the four game Winston, the four game win streak after having like and he, he the didn't even game do, losing streak. He didn't even do the job. He was he was brought in to be the sporting director. He spent most of it being the first team manager to absolutely no avail. Uh where they should have just left Richie at it. You know, because he Richie started getting things going towards the end there. If he had gotten that full run, who knows what might have happened. You know, the way he whipped everything up towards the end, like Buckley didn't even do his job as sporting director like absolutely a colossal waste of time if you ask me he just seems so nonchalant about the whole thing uh, if we had the four game win streak everyone thought yes here we are uh, we're going to stay up without a doubt and then we end up going down uh, and that was probably the biggest factor in it if you ask most City fans yeah that spell was 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 it was killer like and obviously now Rory Keating has gone to, uh, gone to Pats Wish him the, the best of luck. I think uh, nobody has any ill will towards Rory Keating no, leaving. One obviously. of the best comeback stories in all your sport for a long time, anyway. Oh, this season is is like what he went through the season, um, and to come back and be pretty much the the best striker in, in the league, uh, and to drag Cork City to have any chance of even staying up in the first place. Uh, it's a massive void to fill, and obviously getting Tim Clancy in first is a positive because he can now choose the one he wants to replace him. And there, there should be options out there. Now, obviously, it's going to be hard to get a top-quality striker to bring them into a first-division club. But, you know, like I, there's plenty of good strikers. Like, I, know I don't he's think probably there is. Bit, he's, there is. Like, I know he's probably a bit old now, but Ender Curran has been playing fantastic stuff for, for Treaty United for the last couple of seasons. He, like, he, I think he's got the record for first-division goals, if I'm not mistaken. He's a ton of them scored. Like, there are definitely... You could bring in an, an experienced guy for next year, hope that it gets you out of there, and also bring in maybe a younger guy as a prospect for after that. And then you got to... You, obviously, if you get promoted, then you got to upgrade that. But, like, you know, Clancy at least now has his chance to pick that person. Yeah, we well, actually signed uh, Tunde Olabi to Pats from Finn Harps originally. Tunde didn't hit farm this season, didn't really hit farm at Pats either, but, like... He'd got 10 goals in the first division for Finn Harps. Like, defenders, I would say, in that division cannot deal with his pace whatsoever. It's absolutely incredible. Premier Division defenders can't even deal with the man's pace. It'll be, it will be interesting to see um, who he goes for. Maybe some ex-Pats players, people he knows. I'm sure he'll have a good, um, decent network around him. Will he bring in some backroom team with him? I don't know. I'd love to see Richie Holland still involved with Cork City some way or another. I think he absolutely has to be. It will be interesting to see. Uh, I'm not too sure of names. Jack Doherty. He's won Cork City, I mean, 17 goals, I think, last year in the First Division yeah. League. He's one man they have yeah. to be going for. Absolutely incredible football. The biggest, biggest eye-catcher, I would say, last season in the First Division was Jack Doherty. And, like, I, I saw that first game, obviously, uh, Kerry FC versus Cove Ramblers, and he was unbelievable. Like, he played Kerry FC off the park, and it was only 2-0 that night, but he set up the goal, I'm pretty sure, and he scored a cracking free kick as well. So he's got all the attributes you'd want, doesn't he? Um... And there will be more departures, I suppose. Um, you know, it's hard to keep maybe the a lot of the Swedish guys that came. Like, will they be? But they they've all gone. Yeah. They all, yeah. So, how many players have actually gone out the door since the since the season ended? Let's say. Um, I don't think there's been any official announcements from the club, but it's it's rumored. I think five the, five to six. I think yeah. On the wall, yeah. So it's going to be a case of building with local talent and obviously bringing in. 
it's, it's the best thing to do like I mean everybody in the League of Ireland usually goes at one season contracts anyway bring in some experienced fellas you know yeah. out, I, out I, of the first yeah. proper experienced first division guys or maybe guys who are you know pushing on a bit that are playing with Premier Division teams you know get them to spend a year at Cork City try and get them up boost them up and obviously if they they'll boost their own profile as well like in, in terms of getting a, a better club coming towards the end of their career you know it, it is hard for us because we're not in Dublin that's where most players are based out of just naturally but we're the biggest club in Munster uh, I mean Cork City draw isn't exactly the whole of the province Cork City isn't Rat Kenny like you know what I mean like uh, nobody's going to understand that versus, but it's not the back of beyonds like Cork City is the second biggest city in Ireland so it's not that bad a place to live like I'm <laughs> <laughs> like a true carry man anyway <laughs> you wow. know what I mean though like it's a it's a it's a it's an enticing place to live like it's it not like you're asking a guy to move out and you know it's a good place to and, live and, and the biggest club in Ireland just sit, uh, Shamrock Rovers right first or biggest or second biggest you know well they always say whenever they do those surveys that it's it's Man United and Liverpool and then Cork City are the that's surveys. absolutely incredible like you know obviously like it's a one one club uh, Arsenal have taken the lead here against Brentford just while we're uh, we're mumbling away here trying to trying to uh, decide who's going to be up front for Cork City next season uh, Trossard is the one who has headed in um Oh, Brentford get caught here with a high line trying to play offside so VAR is probably going to have to check that for about 10 minutes um, anyway we're going to move on to one of two massive occasions in Dublin this evening uh, it is Munster versus Leinster and probably one of the more anticipated Munster-Leinster matches considering Munster went away and beat Leinster last year in the semi-final won the URC um, and there's just a lot of positivity around Munster players at the moment. Obviously, two World Cup winners, Jack Crowley, etc., coming onto the scene and uh, breaking into the Irish team. It is a big game between uh, for Jack Crowley and also Harry Byrne and Ross Byrne, I suppose, on the other side for Leinster. Um, our own Rory O'Hagan is the presenter of Off the Balls, the Red 78 podcast, a Munster podcast for... Uh, Munster fans featuring Munster legends Alan Quinlan and Fiona Hayes on this week's episode Rory looked ahead to the Leinster game with the two of them Let's look ahead to this Leinster game and Fiona Hayes quite frankly a daunting task heading up to a team who are in red hot form on their own patch this weekend 100% 100% and do you know what the, the the daunting task as well as going up there after Leo Cullen kind of being disappointed after <laughs> after such a big win um, I think they had a, a lull for about 20 minutes before half time and I suppose the Scarlets didn't punish them, Munster are a team that possibly could punish them if they come out and perform like that in patches but um, the scores were across the board from from strike plays off set piece to to pick and goes to you know lovely running lines I thought Hugo Keenan and Jimmy O'Brien are dangerous so look months are going to have to be on their A game but this team you know they, they have the upper hand you know they're, they're URC champions um, I suppose last week we saw a defensive effort I think they'll have to be better clicking better in attack there was lovely moments from Nankerville um, his footwork to get away from contact is brilliant um, I think we just need to start running our lines off the, the two centres a little bit more it seems like when they break that first gain line we're not there so I think in attack just a, it needs to click a little bit and if it can click a little bit more um, especially the two centres I think we, we'll definitely get a, a good couple of scores out of that and I'd be slightly confident obviously it's hard to go away 2 and 12 I think Quinny said in the uh, way from home up there which isn't a great odds but as I said URC champions 
they're playing well the pack is coming together now scrum is the only issue I would be a little bit nervous about Yeah Quinny you were obviously watching that Scarlet's game you were on commentary duties as you said the match report suggested that despite scoring eight tries Leinster were a bit sluggish and not at their best what did you think? Isn't it incredible that you can say a team of sluggish um, <laughs> eight tries, when they yeah. win 54-5? Uh, um, yeah, watching the game very, very closely, there's, uh, you know, the pace and the tempo at the start of the game. You know, the first three tries were unbelievable. Um, their accuracy in passing. And um, I expected them to be a little bit rusty with a lot of changes and, and with those internationals coming back. I think Scarlet's... Um, they were kind of rabbits in the headlights scenario early on in the game and realised, and to be fair, they had a lot of inexperienced players, um, young players. Um, certainly when I saw the selection from Scarlets, I thought I feared for them big time. But it is a strange one when a team wins by so much and you actually think the opposition can take a little bit out of that. Um, not just the learning, like we hear this learnings thing all the time, but I think just actually realising that um, if you get um, the emotional part of your game right, if you don't stand off the opposition, there's certainly times, um, there's certainly a, um, a belief that you can do better than what you did. I think the people, so that, it sounds crazy to say that. So the start of the game, uh, Leinster just running those three tries, they're brilliant. Uh, Sam Prendergast starting at out half, mm-hmm. um, his potential is huge. People are very excited about what he can bring I think to play in a full you know nearly a full strength team um, for Leinster like that with so many internationals around you was was really special for him Fenton Gunn coming off the bench as well they were the halfbacks for the under 20s and we talk about that World Cup cycle you think I'd be very excited about those two players and what they can what they can do in the next couple of years and, and maybe put their hands up for Australia uh, in 2027 but you know it's a, it's a conveyor belt of players coming through there isn't it and to, to kind of put Prendergast in there with all those internationals a great luxury he got a, the first try of the game um, easy in a sense that he's a support player back in the inside but Leinster's accuracy of passing has always been it's been a big strength of theirs in the last number of years you think if Munster have any chance um, you've got to like the Scarlets probably for 10, 15 minutes before half time and maybe a bit after half time, it looked like, God, wake up here. You can actually get something here. You can get, you're not going to win this game and it's probably going to be 20, 30 pointer. Um, but if you stay on it here, you can, you can maybe get another couple of scores yourself. And they frustrated Leinster at times. They, they, their line speed was really good when they got their defensive stuff organized. Yeah, and they actually looked up and didn't burn so many players at the breakdown. They got numbers out in the back line, and they got to grips with the kind of the pass out the back door. Leinster got a lot of um, line breaks early on in the game from that. So, look, they're a brilliant sides, and uh, you know you still have that feeling that if Scarlets look back and probably didn't allow the start, it probably was a twenty-five to thirty-point game rather than. Yeah. You know, forty. They won by forty-nine points. So, um, but still, Leinster. They look at that that performance themselves and say, "Well, we were sloppy. We turned the ball over. We forced a couple of passes, particularly in the middle part of the game, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a few inaccuracies there." Um, but you know, they, they they were sensational at times. Some of the tries and the pace that um, 
the ball presentation that Gibson Park is getting and the way he can just sweep the ball away. It's so hard for defences to get set when they get that dominance and they get over the gain line and they win those collisions. Um, so a lot of power, a lot of pace and uh, great accuracy at times. Um, but Scarlet's made them look sloppy at times. And the challenge for Munster is how do they start the game really well, um, get their own house in order, obviously, around their set piece and breakdown. Right. But, but, you know, I think they've just got to be really physical and get into Leinster early on and hopefully they can unsettle them. And look, I I think, you know, John Klein may be back. Um, mm. He'd be certainly a big addition. Um, he's strength and power. Um, obviously, Ollie Yeager may be involved. Dermot Barron could be back. Um, you'd like to have Peter Mann. He's certainly involved and, and have the ability to have Jack O'Donnell in the squad as well. Mm. Um, but... It's a big challenge for Munster. You know, we haven't, and I say we because we're all, we're, we're, we're Munster people. Um, the last league match that Munster won was in 2018-19, um, the Stevens Day fixture, 24-17. So it's a long way back. I'm talking about league points. Of course, last year was really special to win that semi-final and then there was a Rainbow Cup fixture two years previous. But just as regards league points, I think um, we keep talking about maybe being optimistic about every time you know we play these games, two league games a year, home and away, and and you talk about the optimism and maybe this is the time to win the the you know win the points. Ultimately, these games are different, uh, Rory, and mm. you know it's a different week. It, we've always been asked as a player, "What's this week like?" Um, it is a different week. It's a different week when you go into Europe as well, particularly, and, and that was always the case when, when, when I played. And when I say a different week, I mean, you know, you just feel the tension, the excitement. Um, there's no room for kind of laughing and joking. There's no, everybody's got to get on this here now. We've got to get ready. There's a big task at hand. And if we don't get our shit together, we're going to get a... Um, you know, we could be in for a hiding here, and that's 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 what the way the way you've got to look at it with Leinster, and I think Europe is different, obviously, because you know back when I played, it was it was um, you know you you needed to win X amount of matches to get out of the group and all that, so and you were going away from home, different sort of uh, level of intensity, but the interpros, bragging rights, Irish selections, all that kind of stuff. And it'll just be interesting to see how how what kind of intensity are here is here because uh, Leinster will be fuming after that semi final, and that's the challenge for Munster. Can they get get really up for this and and um, you know get into Leinster and stay in the game? Quinny, when you guys were playing, was there a hatred between Munster and Leinster between you guys? Did you like hate Leinster and did you just think like we have to beat these guys, or was it anything like that? Um, hate is a big word, you know. It's, it's extreme. Um, serious rivalry um, there was a lot more bite when we played it I think and that's been I'm, I, I hope I'm not you know insulting anyone by saying that in the current climate I think a lot of these guys are are, are, are close um, I think um, it's been a there's been a big shift in, in, in the last 10 10 years around the interpros as regards um of course you want to win these games, but I think the big, there was a nastiness at times that sometimes when we played them, um, I don't, it's probably not the same. 
And you know that stone to Leinster being very dominant as well. They've been they've been setting an incredible standard for so long. When teams are actually quite close to each other, like and let's be honest here, um, Fiona and Rory, Leinster have been utterly dominant in this fixture for a long period of time. Even the win in two thousand eighteen, there's a number of wins mm. before that as well. So if you add up the amount of wins over the ten years, it's been Leinster that have been utterly dominant in those victories and the same when they've played Ulster or Connacht as well so they've been the best side in Irish rugby um, it, it, it probably negates the expectation and the, the tension of a fifth, real 50-50s a lot of these games haven't been 50-50s Leinster have been favourites in all of them um, so um, yeah there's still a rivalry of course and I, the, the players dislike uh, I wouldn't say they, they, they. It's a personal dislike, but yeah. dislike each each province, and that's what happens in rivalry. It's the same when Liverpool play Man United, or you know, Tip play Cork in the hurling, or or Tip play Limerick in hurling, or whatever, or Cork play. Limerick. You know, there's there's a there's a bit of a build up to all this, but you know, I don't think we hated anyone because we ended up playing with each other in Ireland. But I just think there's been a bit of a kind of a shift, and it's been Team Ireland for the last number of years. And I think it's taken a little bit of the sting out of the Interpros, um, and also because Leinster have been pretty dominant. So, um, of course, Monster be trying to go there and win, mm. and and not buying into the narrative that that Leinster are favourites. And you know, Munster have a bit of pressure on their shoulders now, winning that that, that yeah. URC final, and Leinster will want to try and um, you know get one back at them for for knocking them out in the semi final. Yeah, and to hear the Red 78 podcast in full every week, become an Off The Ball member. Visit offtheball.com forward slash join for details. A couple of minutes away from that. Uh, like I was saying, we thought Arsenal went 1-0 up. Like I said, it went to VAR for about five minutes. Ridiculous. It should have just been given. It looked level enough. Trossard was deemed to be offside. It's still nil all between Brentford and Arsenal. Like, we looked at it like it was... They should have just given it, like... Are you a proponent of VAR or do you want to get rid of it? Oh, do you know what? No, I'm so sick of it. Like, I just does I, I will be here for the night. But um, it's just not working. Like, they need to suspend it, I think, until they get it working properly, I think, because... He does completely ruin the in-the-moment celebrations on the pitch, in the stands. 15 minutes of at a time at the end of every half. I think they've just... Re- I think they need to suspend it for the rest of the season, to be honest with you, and work on it and have it ready to go then to start next season I think most clubs probably in favour of that yeah goal line goal line technology absolutely but yeah, yeah. yeah fair anyway a uh, couple of minutes out from the start of Leinster Munster let's hear from Munster scrum half Craig Casey was speaking to off the ball's own Sheehan during the week this Saturday Leinster at the Aviva Stadium this rivalry if it had ever gone anywhere is back do you uh, take any offence to the notion that Leinster didn't play their full, full, full team when you beat them earlier on this year and that you'd love to beat them with their full, full, full team this year or, or do you not care about that sort of talk? No, I don't. I don't. Obviously, Leinster have an unbelievable squad. I don't really care about that talk. You wouldn't really have heard You wouldn't hear it from Leinster either, like, you know what I mean? It didn't come from Leinster, that, that talk. But I think Leinster trust anyone that they put out in the field and, and rightly so, they have an unbelievable squad of players. So you can't really say it's an A, B, C squad that they put out. I think anyone that comes puts on a Leinster jersey especially in the semi-final is going out there to win and doing everything they can to win obviously they were missing a few top class players that day as well uh, they went on to play in the Champions Cup the week after but look it's an exciting challenge to go up to Leinster and uh, it, they'll probably have a, a per se full full squad uh, 
out. So uh, it'll be a challenge we're looking forward to and hopefully put down a, a marker against him as well. You spoke a moment ago about that one penalty miss having a significant, uh, being a significant memory for you. It's, it is amazing how one moment can take confidence away, give confidence back. It's a bit of a clunky link here, but to Jack Crowley that afternoon in, in the Aviva Stadium uh, and the, the, the big drop goal, from knowing him so well, was that a moment that gave him a bit of a rocket of confidence or is he he's already already like that, is he? Um yeah, he's already like that. Uh he's he's confident in what he, he brings and um, what he brings to an environment and stuff like that. I think as well he's he's quite confident in that matter. But of course that would give any player uh, a bit of confidence steering home uh, a monster side in a, in a huge game against a, a big Leinster side in the Aviva Stadium it, it proves to yourself that you're a big game player you've got those big game balls per se and and he definitely showed him that day and I think you only saw it in the the final of the URC as well he, he played a very good game in that game and kind of steered us home well bear his yellow card obviously the, I had to get a bit of a dig in <laughs> but um, like he, he played a massive role in the, the South Africa win over the World Cup as well so I think it definitely probably gave him the confidence that he's a big game player and not that he needed much but it really gives him that sense of purpose I think you now driving us on I said the two of you came away from France you know Ultimate negativity, sure, with the result of the end, but what a huge amount of to take away from the two of you. Yeah, one hundred percent. Learn an awful lot. I think it's hard to go into an environment like that and not learn an awful lot. So, uh, massive experience for ourselves. Um, learn enough, like unbelievable halfbacks as well. Like I learned an awful lot off Johnny. I can only imagine what what Jack has learned as a ten off Johnny. So, I think we'll take uh, a lot of a lot of those experiences forward and hopefully drive. Uh, us on uh, as halfbacks for the next 15 years please God yeah Craig Casey speaking there a couple of minutes away from kickoff at the Viva Stadium where they're playing a bit of a tribute to the newly retired Johnny Sexton alright coming up after the break we're going to hear from Gavin Casey ahead of Katie Taylor versus Chantel Cameron too and we're going to hear from John O'Shea who's been speaking with Dan don't go away Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Welcome back to the Big Red Bench with me, Dan Casey, and my good friend, Aidan Leahy. Later on, I will be catching up with author John O'Shea about the release of his new book, Republic of Ireland Women's Team, a biography in nine lives. But later on tonight, Katie Taylor faces her date with destiny in the three arena as she squares off against super lightweight champion Chantel Cameron. Katie was defeated in the pair's last bout, so we'll be hoping to gain her revenge. Aidan, you have been speaking to uh, Gavin Casey of The 42 about it. Yeah, it is. It's a huge night for Katie Taylor because the loss here like it is, probably is her career over and somebody who like we've pretty much grown up watching like I remember the day I collected my school uniform for starting secondary school was the day she won the gold medal at the Olympics you know that kind of way like uh, I think a lot of people have memories that are aligned with big wins for Katie Taylor in her career and Gavin Casey has kind of been there covered most of her career and was one of the very few that was sceptical of what might have happened in the last fight uh, so he's got a you know he, he's he's very clued into what might happen this evening and uh, he was speaking to me earlier on all about it alright I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the 42's Gavin Casey ahead of the big fight tonight at the 3 Arena Katie Taylor going back up against Chantel Cameron to see if she can uh, I suppose uh, defend a bit of honour and regain her title and, and defeat uh, Chantel Cameron after losing uh, earlier on this year but uh, Gavin look I heard you speaking on on second captains yesterday and you were in the midst of everything that happened Thursday night in Dublin and this fight does take place in a city where we had a major public order incident if, if you like 
uh, a couple of days ago and as well a massive tragedy which I think is getting lost in it all um, but what is the mood around this fight? Significantly better than it was a couple of nights ago Aiden anyway that's for sure I'm just in the middle of the city here now and it's actually a bit of a festive vibe because you have Leinster hosting Monster as well I'm just off the train at Houston Station plenty of Monster fans going up in force as they tend to I think there's about 45,000 people expected at the Aviva Stadium and I know a few of them that have come up from Cork, that will be making a beeline for the three arena soon afterwards. So, look, it's still bright. It's the middle of the day. I'm kind of hoping that there isn't any element of what we saw the other night as it gets a little bit later on. And I suppose people, well, certain people might have this perception of a boxing crowd as being possibly prone to violence or a little bit more susceptible to some of the the kind of feck acting that was happening the other night, I, I wouldn't subscribe to that at all. Um, yeah. I, I've been to probably, I don't know, 50 professional boxing events in my life, and it's actually very rare that there'd be significant trouble at them, and particularly Katie Taylor fights, which are generally very family, family-oriented family events, a lot of kids there, parents, etc. Um, certainly the last one in Dublin in May against Chantel Cameron, which was, as you remember, long-awaited uh, because really of security factors, it was an absolutely brilliant event to be at and um, people from all ages I think really enjoyed it so I'm hoping it'll be similar tonight and that maybe some of the poison that was coursing through this place a couple of nights ago has uh, subsided to a sufficient extent Absolutely yeah. and look I suppose as well like there will be maybe some nerves considering um, the difficulties to getting this fight the first time out security wise and for the Gardaí, like getting professional boxing fights in Ireland was so difficult for so long. Uh, there's, it just adds to that element for the security uh, uh, people and, and obviously the Gardaí as well, just, just making sure this all goes off smoothly. Absolutely, but I would say for Matchroom, uh, the promoters of this event, Eddie Hearn's crowd, they do take security extremely seriously. And even in the lead-up to the first fight and this one, there was a really high security element and detail around the pre-fight events. So even as media, you're going in there, you have to bring ID, you're kind of getting checked basically, going through um, a kind of a, a method of security clearance before you get in anywhere and certainly the event itself will be similar and there will be a massive guard of presence on the streets as well and as you say, that was a, a massive complication for a long time. Look, the reality of uh, the fact that Taylor was unable to fight in Ireland for so long or at least fight in Dublin was because there was a, a gangland feud sort of persisting in the background and actually particularly down around the area where the three arena is for example it would have been landmine hopscotch really trying to organize something there at least potentially theoretically and you have to be realistic about the fact that that feud seems to have subsided as well and there is a certainly more scope to stage an event like this the last one went out went off without a hook and um i'm hoping this one will be the same i'm expecting this one will be the same to be totally honest with you yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose then tonight, let's let's look at Katie Taylor. Like this is, in a way, like it's kind of crept up on a lot of people, I'd imagine. But this could be do or die for Katie tonight, couldn't it? It absolutely is do or die. I think the reality, Aiden, is that if she was to lose, there's no real way back, or certainly it's a very, very long road back to this level, this top one percent of the sport in which she finds herself. Kind of makes her not irrelevant, but it would make her really not as big a scalp, not as big a name, maybe not as relevant as she has been for so long. And the reality of it as well is that for her to lose back-to-back to the same opponent would be 
Would it be detrimental to her legacy? Probably not. I think her legacy is, is secured and has been for an awfully long time, but it would be a blemish on her copy, wouldn't it? Like, it, it just doesn't look good on a CV, ultimately, for one of the greatest athletes ever lays up a pair of gloves. And I guess the likelihood is that that will happen as well. Like, she is the underdog in this fight. Chantel Cameron is younger, she's fresher. Last time out, she was better. And once again, Taylor is stepping up a division, up to 140 pounds to challenge Cameron for her titles. She is up against it even more so now than she was the first time around because of the passing of time since. Katie Taylor turned 37 in the summer. Her legs aren't quite as nimble as they used to be. She probably doesn't have quite as sharp a set of reflexes as she used to have. And she's fighting a woman in the prime of her life. So you'd have to say the odds are probably more stacked against her this time around than they were last time. And yes, we're talking about Katie Taylor. The onus is on her to make adjustments, adaptations from that first performance. And she's professional enough, dedicated enough, talented enough, you'd imagine, to implement changes that can help her. So it's a curious one for those reasons in the sense that as much as on paper it seems like an even tougher fight the second time around, you can almost find a couple of reasons for optimism that weren't there the first time around. Yeah, And it's going to be interesting to see how all of that unfolds. Yeah, like it it is interesting. I suppose Katie Taylor has been such like I mean women's boxing would not be anywhere near the the level of exposure it is without Katie Taylor um, and I guess she would have always known that eventually like she would be beaten at some stage and that that fighter who beat her would be such a big star then to almost fill her void when she left would Chantel Cameron be that big star if she got the job done tonight and beat Katie, Katie Taylor for the second time in a row and eventually, and essentially ended her career, would she be that big star to fill the void? I think she has the scope to become that bigger star. I'm not sure that she'd get there overnight tonight, and I know that will sound maybe a little bit strange in the sense that she would have then twice beaten Taylor on home soil, and bearing in mind that coming to Dublin to face Katie Taylor is about the most daunting away trip in professional boxing right now. It's comparable only, I would say, to maybe going to Russia and taking on Artur Baturbiev or maybe going to Mexico and taking on Canelo that that kind of level we're talking about and I suppose with Cameron she's a lot more well I was going to say she's a lot more introverted than Taylor that's probably impossible but she <laughs> yeah. is a pretty introverted character in her own right she probably doesn't make a massive song and dance about herself and maybe hasn't uh, it, it might be unfair to say she hasn't made the effort to raise her own profile in recent years but she's probably just naturally not inclined to do that and it was interesting talking to Eddie Hearn about this during the week. He made the point that, like, you don't get to Katie Taylor's level uh, of fame, of. Uh, you, do, you don't reach her status in the sport and her status in her own country, for example, in the space of six months. She's put a lifetime's worth of work into that. Most of that hasn't been in self promotion, but in succeeding so constantly, so routinely, that she's become a hero in her homeland. And also carrying herself with a, a great deal, uh, deal of dignity as well. Uh, I think a second victory for Cameron would certainly make her a really big star within the sport of professional boxing. And then from that point, you're looking for some somebody to transcend her sport, really, become a little bit more of a mainstream sporting star in the UK to begin with. And just to kind of contextualize all of that, Aiden, the reason why this fight is back in Dublin in the first place is because Taylor remains by far the bigger star of the two of them. The fact that it's happening in Dublin is well, the reality of yeah. it happening in Dublin is that both fighters will earn a lot more money for it taking place here than they would have if this return fight had gone to, say, Northampton, where Cameron is from, because you just wouldn't get the number of fans there. You wouldn't be able to charge as much money for the tickets. Ultimately, you'd be looking at potentially even making a loss on the event from Matram's point of view. 
and the fighters would have been paid about half as much. So as much as competitively or, or in a sporting sense, it's almost unfair that Cameron has to come back here. Her pockets will be the heavier for it and that's a result of Taylor being the, the legend of the sport that she is. Um, Kelly Taylor hasn't done as much media or, or fed into the sort of circus around this fight as much as the first time and look you know it must have been really tough for her to do that the first time around because it's just it probably goes against everything in her in a way so she has focused all on the on the fight this time um, which shows she's at least in she's definitely in the right frame of mind for this the stakes are so high like this could be one of the great boxing comeback wins couldn't it and like a win tonight could cement her as a boxing legend regardless of gender uh, big time I, I can be totally honest with you no, I think she already is that but yeah. what I would say is that um, it would probably extend her legacy it adds almost a new facet or a new um context to her legacy it just increases it increases her level of greatness and how she would be seen around the world and you're right she hasn't really engaged in media this week I think she's made a conscious decision I, I, I would probably imagine she's formed a narrative in her head since that first fight where she felt as though the number of media obligations she had to take on as the big star as the returning like article daughter if you like to Dublin for the first time in a long time she had to run the show she had to carry the event time around it's a work trip for her like she's come back over from uh, Connecticut where she lives these days she's kind of shut up shop kept herself away from the media glare she refused to speak to us uh, not directly but we kind of heard through Matchroom she had just politely declined the opportunity to sit down and have a round table she's sort of cutting out a lot of the faff that was involved in the first one which she clearly believes sapped her energy a little bit when she got into the ring. And to, to be totally honest, I don't begrudge her that. Even as a journalist whose plans were kind of affected by her de facto blackout, she's done this now 24 times. There probably isn't a great deal more she can say. There's yeah. not even a great deal we can ask her anymore. And if she feels as though it can get her the couple of percent that she was missing the first time around, then so be it. It's her prerogative. And um, ultimately, when an athlete like Taylor loses, you can either accept that yeah maybe it's because I'm 37 and I'm not quite as good as I used to be or you try to find other reasons and mitigate against those and I think Taylor's decision to remain a little bit more coy a little bit more quiet this week is the latter and uh, well look as um, an Irish sports fan first and foremost I wish her the best with it Absolutely I am going to push you for a prediction and to be fair the last time around you were one of the very few that said that this was a really dangerous fight for Katie and I think we were all blindsided by the by the big fight and the fact it was the homecoming that we all took our eye off of the opponent and maybe Katie did too to an extent um, but this time around what do you think? Can she come back and do this or is Cameron just like at this stage of Katie Taylor's career is it just too difficult for her? I think you've nailed it with that last part there. I, I think it is conceivable that Taylor wins this fight. I, I don't think it's impossible, but it's very hard to envision how that would happen. I, I've been trying to kind of almost create a narrative in my own head as to how that could play out. What would be the adaptation she would make? Certainly she would need to almost like, um, what am I trying to say? Like almost like re-administer how she used her energy the first time around where she was very flat early on, kind of found herself in a bit of a hole and then actually grew into the fight and finished pretty strongly it's too costly to lose the early rounds to somebody like Chantel Cameron. So can Taylor sort of front load the fight a little bit more this time around? Yes. But like, it's just technically, from a technical standpoint, difficult to see how she improves to the extent that would be required to beat Cameron this time. I, I do think Cameron is actually just an excellent boxer. Maybe that got overlooked a little bit the first time around and even in the aftermath where 
her victory might have been more ascribed to her size, her power, etc. She's technically really good. I think she mostly outboxed Taylor as well in that first fight. So it's hard for me to make the case for Taylor to win. I, I, I think, uh, look, like gun to my head, I think Chantal Cameron wins again. I think it might follow a very similar pattern to the first time around. Of course, though, I hope I'm very, very wrong. Absolutely, we all do, obviously, of course. Uh, look, we wish Katie the very best. Hopefully, it's going to be another fantastic occasion. And uh, like you said, hopefully, it's just going to be a good, clean night in Dublin with, with the rugby and the boxing. Gavin, uh, enjoy the match, or enjoy the fight, should I say. And thanks a million for joining us on the Bigger Bench. Thanks, Aidan. Speak soon. Gavin Casey of the 42 chatting to Aidan there. Hopefully that'll be the only fight in Dublin tonight. Are you looking for the perfect stocking filler this Christmas for the football fanatic in your life? Well, fear no longer. I spoke to author John O'Shea, writer of Cork City, The Game of My Life. But today we caught up about his latest release, Republic of Ireland Women, a biography in nine lives. An incredible read throughout, but I took a particular focus on both the pride of Knocknahini and Cork, Denise O'Sullivan. Enjoy. Dan Casey here for Cork's Red FM. Delighted to be joined with John O'Shea, author, author, of uh, Republic of Ireland to Women, uh, a biography in nine lives. John, this is a bit of a labour of love for yourself, is it? Oh, we don't do, yeah, we don't, we don't shadow without. You know, um, I've always been kind of massive into f- football, Irish football, domestic football, and then um, obviously I had written one book previously in last year, which was released, The Cork City Game in My Life, with hero books, and I didn't I, I didn't think I probably would have written a second book so quickly after that, but it was only maybe around the time when when I was finishing the first book it was it would have been released in October 2022 the Cork City book it was around the same time that when Ireland were in they were in that playoff for the for the Women's World Cup against Scotland and just watching following on that and then the seeing the aftermath and the reaction from that you could just see the overall how the over the emotion and even just the, the you, you, I, this it really hit home the significance of the how how significant the moment in maybe Irish sporting history. Never mind Irish football and Irish women's football history. We were we were witnessing so really that was it was a major incentive to kind of drive on and do uh, do do another book. And I reached out to the Hero Books and uh, Liam Hayes and the gang there and the publishing company Hero Books and basically I was saying look maybe there, there's there's maybe a bit of a book in this in the in the Irish women's football team and they they kind of put put it to me maybe like if if you could they, they had this nine lives um, kind of a series out that they, last year it would have been the Limerick men's hurling team they had one out in the nine lives so I kind of incorporated that into the um, the Irish women's football book and really just looked it's kind of like a history of the women's national football team kind of just picking this Nine, like there's so many there but it was only just kind of through the lens of nine characters and it's kind of just telling the story of the women's national football team over the last 30, 40, 50 years And how did you pick uh, these nine in particular? Um, I wanted you know, obviously I wanted to kind of to break it down even first and foremost to a couple of players who who would have been in the book or who would have been in the, in the current squad that, that qualified from that night and obviously I suppose even like Anne Barrett first and foremost because it was arguably the most famous goal in Irish football history um, male or female in terms of the men's national team and obviously like Denise O'Sullivan it, it, I suppose in Cork she needs no introduction anyway but um, so I, I just wanted to break players like that and then the other, the, the, if you go back then I wanted to, go back to just to contrast it contrast that then with players who would have played in the like the 80s and the 90s though, the likes of like Linda Gorman and Olivia O'Toole and just the, you, you could just even see in that, in that space of time like it was a complete it, it's kind of it's a, the polar opposite to maybe what the women's team are getting now 
in terms of like the the conditions they were playing in, and in terms of, definitely in terms of the media coverage because I was even looking back at like one of the games for Linda Garman's book when she was the the women's the women's man, manager um, away to Spain in the early nineties and like literally all you'd be finding nearly on even on national papers is only maybe just be in the bottom corner of the page or oh, the women's national team have have beaten Spain one nil and you know it's really you good to see it's after coming a million miles since then so it's just just trying to just just tell the stories I said like just through the different through the different lenses and just really just grouped them down like current players and then players who maybe who would have played just on the brink of the of the World Cup like especially like Stephanie Roach who who who's kind of been there for a long time and a big influential figure in terms of maybe driving the standards and and one of the girls who would have been there like Liberty Hall that day as well which is a, a kind of place a big focus on in the early stages of the book because it, it is even though it's off the pitch it probably is one of the biggest Days in the history of Irish women's football as well. Yeah, we'll we'll give the the, the nine names here first. It's Linda Gorman, Olivia O'Toole, Claire Scanlon, Stephanie Roach, Louise Quinn, Denise O'Sullivan, Katie McCabe, Amber Barrett, and Saoirse Noonan. Which start the the book off course in that night in uh, Hampton Park. Can you take us back to uh, that special night for uh, Irish women's football? Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, it was a pretty phenomenal night, really. And I think that I, I kind of wanted the stats, like you know, obviously maybe going to thirty, forty years. I kind of wanted the stat like at the on that night because it was a, such a historic um, and a real breakthrough moment for the for the game in the country. And you know, I, you just you could even see it as you were talking to the girls, like um, that, like 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 Louise Quinn, like Denise O'Sullivan, Amber Barrett, anyone who was involved that night, um, Saoirse Noonan as well. They, you could just see like their eyes were really lighting up straight away, and like they were nearly they were really getting emotional in the car, nearly thinking um, um, thinking back on that iconic night, and it was just it was just it was just unbelievable. And then like on top of like with the squad as well, you could just see the significance of. Be- they they knew they were involved in something historic even on the pitch and contrast that into the likes of Olivia O'Toole who was there that night in the stands and this you know, I think she goes to, she went to Australia actually as well um, find the girls out subsequently but you could just even see someone like Olivia watching on you know maybe qualifying for World Cups for years would have seemed like a real something far off in distance so it really was a really such a significant moment and it really was special for someone like her to be there that night as well yeah, yeah, and then can you take us through the events of um, Liberty Hall? Oh yeah, Liberty, like Liberty Hall, but oh, shadow of doubt, it's, you know, for for years, and I think in the earlier chapters of the book, you can get a glimpse with the likes of um, Linda Garman and Claire Scan and then uh, Olivia O'Toole. But, but what actually yeah. was the um, events that occurred? They, it was, obviously, it was, enough was enough, I think, really, just in terms of standards, they, their story, it was much good report at the time. The, the girls had to change literally like in airport toilets and you know it was just like they were just like second class citizens really compared to the men's team and basically like a press conference was held in Liberty Hall um, in, in Dublin in the SIP2 offices and essentially they were just demanding they wanted better better treatment better standards um, adequate standards like the equality with the men's team basically in the national sense and you know like like it likes Emma Byrne for years like they would have been in high level environments in particular if, like she was really the figurehead behind it years playing in Arsenal and you're seeing the highs like what you're getting there and then you're coming to an Irish setup, which is there's probably so much potential but it was just being so badly mistreated and it was so 
underfunded for years. So I think really, I think they just took that stand and uh, enough was enough. And I think really, in the subsequent years since and subsequent to the World Cup in Australia this summer, you could see the really the they're ultimately the, the fruits of the, of taking that stand and the the results are really there and, and it, it's kind of a rising tide um, lifting all the boats. Really, you could even see it with the, with the women's national league here as well. You know, it, it really was a landmark day, and I think it probably I would I was saying one of them it probably is the most. It's the most significant moment in Irish women's football history. From all those um, nine lives, did any story in particular stand out to you the most? Like, I, I think just the the likes of like, going back even to like the earlier days, like you know, like the likes of Livio O'Toole and how just for for young girl, like if, if you look at young girls now, maybe after the back of the World Cup, it's it's a lot easier for girls to maybe go play in school girl teams and try to be the next Katie McCabe or the, the next Diggs O'Sullivan. Whereas in, in her in her age, I think she actually plays in the and a schoolboys team and then I think she as she kind of said herself she went up and kind of elbowed a, a lad and it was like he gave him a bloody nose but and ultimately then she, there was there was a ban in place like she, you couldn't play at the Dublin League at the time she, there was no girls allowed to play until 16 really like there was no school girls allowed to play in schoolboys team so like there, there was no for, for it was to showed you the lack of opportunities for young girls to play football at that stage and really you're even for that like it just wasn't like it just wasn't possible and it was just really it showed really how mistreated that young girls maybe like in the 70s and the 80s were compared to maybe like a young like young girls who want to aspire to be the next like Denise O'Sullivan um, in 2023 you know yeah the change seems to have seems to have happened um, incredibly quickly as well it's only been since the World Cup cycle that it's really just <clears throat> exploded in popularity do you oh, think yeah. uh, it can only be anything but positive I think yeah, without, without shadow of a doubt. I think like you, you could even see like even with the with the women's national league, and I think like with even with, like with Cork City, you know, um, with the, with the women's national league team as well. Like you could see this, it's just uh, it's kind of rising and rising, and it feels like women's it's it's probably the fastest, and it's going to be the fastest growing sport in in Ireland. Really, like it's 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 only going one direction, and it's just like you, you could even see if you compare like with England as well, off the back of winning the Euros last year. Like it's even the national league over there is even skyrocketing. And the cup, it's it, it's a lot more like you're seeing a lot more games on Sky Sports, like even last weekend the Manchester Derby, the women's men men United Man City in Old Trafford, over forty three thousand at the game. Like it's it's yeah. going one way, and I, I think it's it, I think if you translate it to here as well in Ireland, I think it's only the qualifying for the World Cup is only it, it, it's 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 only going to have similar effects here, and it's probably you'd hope maybe like after like the men's team qualifying in nineteen ninety for um the World Cup Italian ninety, it probably wasn't. The kind of the, the the excitement and euphoria probably wasn't really properly capitalised upon, really. Whereas, like you'd hope now with the women's national team, that that you hopefully that the investment in the game and improving the facilities and improving the grounds and you know just it, it, you'd you'd hope that it will be capitalised upon. Not only by, by I think upon these by, by the, the FAI, but especially maybe at government level as well. You know. Yeah, it's going from strength to strength, but it probably doesn't does need to get better. I'm sure in some areas. What's the main? Improvements that uh, you think would need to be to be made. <clears throat> I think probably the facilities element as well. It's it, 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 a lot of this, it's a lot of stuff you buy. Would say similar to the men's and um, like like the like League of Ireland facilities and, and grounds and there. If you kind of compare it to maybe other places across Europe, or it's you know we're probably lagging behind in that sense. But I think definitely in training facilities is definitely one of the primary ones. Like just having a a set base just for for the women's teams to train. Like the I think obviously like Shamrock Rovers with um, the women's team I think with, like, 
with the road stuff would be one example. But I think the, I think just having proper bases, like and I think even if just proper training facilities and just investing in that really would be the main thing I would say. Without, without. Yeah, can we talk a bit? Well, it is, of uh, course, the big red bench on Cork's Red FM. So, can we talk a bit for uh, about Denise O'Sullivan, uh, Liam Mackey in the Irish Examiner wrote, an abiding love of football, nurtured on the streets of Knocknahaney, now sees Denise O'Sullivan with the world at her feet. A lovely passage, but um, what can you tell us about Denise from her from her story? Like, like, literally, like you know, I mean, even for she's consistently for the last couple of years that she's. If you if if you look at like, the the Guardian actually they compile like a top one hundred list annually of the kind of the best women's footballers in the world, and she, her name is almost constantly on it, which I think just sums up the level that she's at, and it's just like she just really like I think she's the kind of player if you look at the women's World Cup this summer. I'd say she's the she's that level. I'd say she would be starting probably for the vast majority, if not all of the teams um, in the World Cup. Like that, the shows you the level that that she's at. But what 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 really is refreshing about the women's game as well, and I, like being found from interviewing like like Denise for the book as well, is it, it, you you get to see how how like how kind of humble and down to earth these kind of like for someone who literally is one of the best players in the world, you can see really that her her heart is still very much here in um, in Cork and in, in Knocknahini as well. And like it, it's and, and thing as well, it, it's really it's what compared to me before kind of interviewing kind of the men's national team player or like in like maybe like Premier League players in England, though it's probably a lot more. It's a lot difficult to kind of get access, and it's probably by media training comes into the as well, a bit more. But um, no, you're going to see how refreshingly like that desire for football, and you're going to see how much she she loves it. That was one thing that came across when I was chatting to her as well, and like that's something literally from an early age that she had, you know, going out. As a child on the streets of Knocknahini, playing morning, noon, and night, I'd say literally, I'd say she only had, she only came in. I'd say when her, I'd say her parents had to tell her to come in at the end of the night. Maybe it was getting dark, but Jenny, you, you could just see like she was, she's a pure street footballer, like in that sense, and like her skill and ta- like it, like we, we, I suppose like from the, it, it's probably just soak up and appreciate it maybe from a from a follower's perspective of the the Irish national football teams in the years to come because really at the moment we do have someone like. Really, truly world class on her and in our midst when you're watching someone like Denise on the pitch. Yeah, she's a great inspiration for the girls and, of course, boys of of Cork and and, and the whole of Ireland. Um, your book, of course, we are here to promote that. Where can people um, obtain it at the moment? Uh, absolutely, at the moment it's um, it's on sale on Amazon um, and it, it 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 will be on sale in all kind of good bookshops as well over the coming the coming weeks and months as well. So um, there'll be plenty either online or in a physical bookshop as well. There'll be plenty of. Um, Options available for whoever, whatever people want to. Nice uh, Christmas stocking filler for the young football fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you know, and hopefully as well off the back of the the World Cup as well. That, you know, maybe young people who are into women's football, and maybe some people might. It, this could be the first time or the first year they have been exposed. To it. So it's 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 a, it's a good way of just summing up and just kind of getting the perspective and the significance of qualifying for the World Cup, but also the history of the, of the women's football in Ireland over the last um, the last couple of years and a couple of decades. And that was a biography of Nine Lives, Republic of Ireland Women. John O'Shea, thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. And that concludes this week's episode of The Big Red Bench with myself, Dan Casey, and esteemed colleague Aidan Leahy. Plenty I'll of inter- great Sorry, Dan, I'll interrupt you just before I let you get into that. Just a quick update. Munster 10, Leinster 7. Leinster scoring during the uh, sin bin for Munster. 27 and a bit minutes gone there. But it was a very good start by Munster and Jack Crowley started over a fantastic kick there as well. 
Uh, I'll start, so I'll finish. Uh, plenty of great chat and conversation from around the greatest sporting county in Ireland. If you've missed the show, you can listen back to The Big Red Bench from wherever you get your podcast. CVG is on the way next. Christmas at Super Value, we have great offers to help you share the magic. Like Super Value Fresh Irish Housekeepers Cut, better than half price. And Bailey's, now €10, Euro, exclusive to Real Rewards members only. Plus, get money off vouchers every week on the Real Rewards app too. Share the magic this Christmas with Super Value. Enjoy alcohol responsibly. Teas and supply. Love you. Don't miss our fantastic Black Friday offers with 